0: Once upon a time,
1: in a land far away,
0: I'm Katrina,
1: and I'm Jeff,
0: and welcome to the Fairytellers Podcast.
1: Myth, legend, folklore, fable.
0: We explore what they say about cultures, then and now.
1: Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat, while we
0: retell you a thing.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. As always, excited to have you here with us for another great episode, I'm Assured, by Katrina, who has once again kindly done all the research for us for today's tales.
0: It's my job. (laughs) I'm excited too, because today we're going to be talking about Hans Christian Andersen and literary fairy tales and a little bit about the kind of confusion of that term, literary fairy tales.
1: And as a listener has pointed out, if we want to be And not in a, like, pretentious mean and whatever I know more than you kind of a way, but in a helpful way that if we want to be more accurate, we can call him Hans Christian Andersen. Oh, you're right. Actually, they didn't tell us how we should pronounce the Christian Andersen part because I'm sure that that's not how it would be in Danish.
0: So, some of our listeners have told me that they love episodes where we talk about literary works and how they were influenced by folk tales. And since it is kind of a main focus of the podcast, I have no problem showing example after example and enjoying the stories that go along with those examples. So, in that spirit, <laughs> we're going to be uh, talking about literary fairy tales and specifically uh, hands. Christian Anderson. So Hans Christian Anderson's fairy tales or short fairy stories were usually of two varieties. You either had tales that were entirely his own, with some references to other folk tales thrown in, like the Snow Queen, or they were folk tales that he took and dressed up really nice and kind of removing all the colloquial language and punching up the word count by a lot
1: (laughs) (laughs) by a factor of 10
0: and so the story that we're going to be telling today is great claws and little claws and it's based on an old european tale it is atu 1535 the rich farmer and the poor farmer it's interesting because uh it should be noted that this atu type uh the story doesn't need to have any farmers in it. A lot of the times the ATU <laughs> types they're named based off of like an example of that story, but they it's not necessarily like pertinent for the stories that are inside of that type to have anything to do with the title, which is crazy, but Yeah, you'd
1: think that that's like a little bit of an oversight. Like, oh, if it's not an essential part of the tale type, maybe don't put it in the title. Yeah. (laughs) Heaven help us if the titles are actually helpful into identifying the types of stories that these are. Come on.
0: (laughs) Like, that would just be confusing.
1: You'd think that the type of people that were like so anal that they had to go and put numbers and letters for categories (laughs) of tales would pay attention to that kind of a thing. But, you know, I guess that's just me.
0: Yeah, where you'd think like like the most important defining feature of the tale would be how they how they name the type, but no. Cause it's like the taming of the shrew, that ATU type was named the taming of the shrew just because it was like the most ready example yeah. of the story.
1: And in that case, I kind of get it, but still. Like cause Yeah. When you say taming of the shrew, in the culture in which we live, although Hundreds of years from now, it might not be the same. So it might cause problems then. But it's like, we know what that means. Yeah. You know, but anyway, but it's also not pertinent. It's fine. Yeah. I'll stop my criticisms of these people who put in a lot of hard work to make <laughs> our lives as fairy tale and folklore podcasters easier. So
0: magnanimous of us to, to stop criticizing them for their life's work. <laughs> but what is important kind of in in this atu type is that the the two main characters have a different status so like in the title that's the rich farmer and the poor farmer but in other tales the two things that separate them it's usually like money and status regardless of their employment as farmers or otherwise so this God. tale type it definitely lends itself to like wish fulfillment for the audience that is listening to it because like we're always rooting for the underdog in a story. We can see ourselves in the less advantaged characters. So this story has an interesting history of how it, it's migrated around the world because of the need for stories with this kind of wish fulfillment in it. Before Jeffrey tells the Hans Christian Andersen version of this story. Just a real quick warning. We will be killing old ladies uh, in these stories. Some grandmas will be dying. Just remember these these stories aren't real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no one's actual grandma is going to be beheaded in the making of this story.
1: No one's grandma is in danger.
0: And with that introduction, Jeff, take us away.
1: All right, since we're not talking about Santa. Claus. I'm gonna call them Klaus, because that sounds like a name to me, rather than like a title of jolly old Saint Nick.
0: Absolutely, anytime somebody says, you know what, I'm gonna pronounce this differently. I'm like, you probably should.
1: (laughs) So, Great Klaus and Little Klaus. In this village, there were two men who had the same name, and both of them were called Klaus. But one of them had four horses, and the other Klaus only had one horse. So to tell them apart, the one that had four horses they called Great Klaus, and the one that had only one horse was called Little Klaus. (laughs) As if what makes one great is the number of horses that one owns, because in that case, so many of us are not great at all.
0: Yeah, I'm not even Little Klaus. I'm Nuns Klaus.
1: It also would be really funny if like Great Klaus was like five foot two and little klaus was like six foot five Mm -hmm. but it doesn't say anything like that so when it came time to plow their fields i guess neither one of them was great enough to plow with just the horses that they had because little klaus (laughs) would have to lend his horse to great klaus in order to plow and then when it was little klaus's turn to plow his own field great klaus would lend him all four of his horses so they could plow with the five horse plow as everyone knows that's what it takes on Sundays, which was Little Cloud's turn to have all the horses, like, he would treat the horses, all five of them, just as if they were basically his, because for the day, they they were. Yeah. I don't know what the culture is around this, but, like, it makes a very big point of, like, you know, not it's not like this is a culture. Like, this is some subculture that people just don't know about. I don't know how it is when you plow horses. It's talking about, like, when treating them like his own was, like, he would just, like, whip them without compunction, I guess. So... On Sunday, people are going to church and they see little Klaus like out there with his five horses just like whipping away at him as happy as they are. And he's like, giddy up, my five horses. And great Klaus, who four of those horses belong to him, um, is like, excuse me, uh, you shouldn't say that because actually only one of those horses is yours and four of them are mine. Little Klaus would, you know, forget about that. And he would again say when he was the big his horses, giddy up, my five horses. And great Klaus again would be like, hey, don't say that if you say that again. I'm going to hit your horse on the head and kill him.
0: Which, one, I think it's like a weird thing for like little Klaus to be so like, oh yeah, keep saying like my five horses when it's like, buddy.
1: Yeah. They're both of them are being weird. Little Klaus probably more. Yeah. But then like
0: great Klaus is also being weird by being like, hey, no, I want everybody to know that those are my horses and not yours. And how dare you try to like. I I guess be bigger than you are, like try to, but it's like weird flexes on both sides.
1: Which, you know what? I'm going to say that the townspeople have a little bit to do with this because they started calling them great class (laughs) and little class dependent on the number of horses that they had. So it's like, both of them are like, hey, we, in order to maintain our identities in this town, either to maintain the identity that they have in this town or to like overcome the negative identity as far as like, you know, being considered little because you only have one horse, which, you know, actually, who am I to say? I'm... Putting like these things in a binary that one is good and one is bad. Why does the little one have to yeah. be bad?
0: Also, comparison is the thief of joy and the killer is. of horses and grandmas.
1: Yes. Anyway, Great Klaus taking this too far by threatening to kill the one horse of the horses that this other man owns, and also a horse that he needs to plow his own field, like...
0: Apparently, yeah.
1: It's kind of like cutting off your nose to spite your face sort of a thing. Anyway, little Klaus is like, okay, fine, I promise I won't say it again if it means that much to you. But as anyone could have predicted, as soon as someone came by from the town to be like, hey, how you doing? Little Klaus... Overjoyed to be having these five horses would again cry out, giddy up all my horses. So forgetting to put a label on it, just all the horses are now his. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that. So giddy up all my horses. And great Klaus says, I'll giddy up your horses for you. And he took a mallet and he struck little Klaus's horse on the head and it fell down dead. And little Klaus was very upset by this because he went from Quote unquote, having five horses to now having zero. And again, we're so removed from the culture of a farm that this just seems very strange to me. But after he grieved for a little bit, I guess, he flayed the dead horse and hung up its skin in the wind to dry, which I guess is one of those things of like, hey, you know, using the animal for all of its parts, getting the most value out of it as a way to. Yeah. Be respectful of its life that has now been taken through a murder.
0: If your horse is dead, your horse is dead and it becomes, okay, what do I do (laughs) now? And it's the same for grandmas.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, but you're not going to be doing that to your grandma. So there is a weird like thing there, you know, like we respect (laughs) human bodies by not doing anything to them after they're dead, except not, not doing anything. But anyway, you know, it's, it's strange. Anyway. So the skin dried, he took the dried skin and he put it into a bag, put that bag over his shoulder and he went to the next town to sell it. Here's something that I can understand. If you're going to be selling the dried skin of your dead horse to someone, you don't want to be walking around town and then see that skin on some townsperson's like boots every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Take it to another town. Again, me adding like unnecessary and extraneous texture to these stories. <laughs> but anyway, to get to this next town, he had to go through this dark and gloomy forest. And as if this forest wasn't dark and gloomy enough, uh, a storm arose and being all the more dark and all the more gloomy, he completely lost his way. Before he was able to find the right path, he noticed it was getting like late in the evening. Again, all the more dark and all the more gloomy. And it was too far for him to continue on to this next town, but it was also too far for him to go back home before it became night. So he's like, "Oh crap, what am I gonna do? Fortunately, near the road that he was on, there was a big farmhouse, and the shutters outside the windows were closed because this owner had obviously battened down the hatches for this approaching storm. <laughs> anyway, um, but even though the shutters were closed, there was light that was shining through. So little Klaus assumed that there was somebody there. And he's like, hey, maybe they'll let me stay here for the night so that I don't have to be outside in a storm in the night far from home. And so he goes to the door, little Klaus does, and he knocks. And the farmer's wife comes to the door, she opens it. And she heard what he had to say as far as like, hey, do you mind letting me stay here? And she was like, no, go away. My husband's not home and I can't let any strangers in. Which lady, a, a strange man comes on a dark, stormy, gloomy night to your door and asks to stay with you wise to turn him away, unwise to be like, my husband is not home. Like I am alone in this house by myself. So Klaus is like, ugh, I guess I'm just gonna have to lie down in the mud out here. And the farmer's wife shut the door in his face. So he's looking around, he sees next to the farmhouse, there's a big haystack. And in between that haystack and a house, there's a small shed with a thatched roof. And he's like, okay, I guess I can go have a lie down in that shed over there. For reasons I'm not quite sure on, rather than going into the shed, Little Klaus decides to climb onto the roof to make himself comfortable, which I don't understand, especially because that's where the stork is that he's afraid he's going to buy his legs. And like, would you not want to be in shelter, like inside of the shed? But I digress.
0: Yeah. No, I guess he's like, he's like, I would like to be more exposed to the <laughs> For the elements. sake
1: of the story, though, it's very important because as he's climbing up on top of the shed, he can see inside the windows of the farmhouse and he could see into a room and there was a table that was laid with wine, roast meat and splendid fish. And the farmer's wife was sitting at this table that was quite beautifully arrayed. And she saw the sexton sitting at the table there with him and nobody else was there. And so this farmer's wife is filling the sexton's glass and helping him to the fish. And it seemed as though it was his favorite dish, which Klaus has a great imagination to be like, adding these details to the scenario, but let's go for it. And little Klaus is getting very jealous. He's like, oh man, they have so much food. I wish I could have some. And so he's like looking in, imagining being part of this feast and he sees also a large cake. And he's like, oh my gosh, they've got delicious fish, roast beef and a cake. This is like such a glorious feast. And so at that moment, as he's eyeballing this cake, he hears someone riding down the road towards the farm and it was the farmer coming home. This farmer, it says, was a good man, but he had a very strange personality quirk, let's say, which was that he could not bear the sight of a sexton. Any sexton, <laughs> I guess.
0: Especially, especially one that he suspected of possibly plowing yeah, his like, wife. Yeah,
1: like, and we looked this up before, what is, this, what is the, a sexton?
0: So a sexton is the person who works at a church who usually is like the groundskeeper, which also includes like the cemetery.
1: Yeah. So it's like a a non-religious figure, like a non-clerical, clerical? No. A non-clerical individual that works at and for the church. Anyway, so he's yeah. like, I can't stand to see these people that work for churches but aren't priests. How dare they?
0: Well, especially... Uh- If they're a person who's, like, in charge of maintaining the cemetery, digging graves, their job is a little bit, like, spooky.
1: Yeah, I, I get it. But anyway, like, he disliked the sight of a sexton so much that if he saw one, he would go into, quote, a terrible rage. And so, supposedly, it's because of this dislike that her husband had for sextons in general that it was... It's only when the farmer was away that the sexton would come and be able to visit the farmer's wife, which I'm kind of like, why would the sexton need to be visiting the farmer's wife in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) This isn't adding up, lady. Your story's sounding a little fishy, just as fishy as that dish that's the sexton's favorite.
0: No, because it's like Hans Christian Andersen's like trying to explain like, oh yeah, the The husband didn't like the sexton. So the only time that the sexton could come and sexton (laughs) the farmer's wife was when the farmer wasn't there. And I was like, I don't think it's because the farmer doesn't like sextons. I think.
1: He doesn't like when the sexton is sexting his wife while he's out of town. Oh, man. So when the farmer's wife and the sexton hear the sound of the farmer approaching, they are very afraid because they're aware of the farmer's aversion to the sexton and they don't want him to fly into a rage at the sight <laughs> of just a sexton in his presence. So she, uh, the farmer's wife has the sexton <laughs> climb into a large chest in the corner of the room. Uh.
0: I mean, I guess that makes sense because if the farmer's coming up to the house, he's definitely going to see like the sexton like, yeah. running for his life like <laughs> across the field and be like, what in the world?
1: And because the farmer's wife did not want to explain why there was so much nice, you know, the nice dishes were out and all these fantastic foods and wine and drink like were on the table because it would explain that there was a sexton there. And she didn't want to do that because she knows that her husband has an aversion to sex. It's just a strange personality quirk. <laughs> um, so she starts hiding all of this stuff in the oven. Like she couldn't have been like, I prepared this food for you, dear, that you are home. No, that's not it, hide it away. And so at the sight of all this food disappearing from off the table, very hungry little Klaus is like, oh dear, <laughs> which him saying, oh dear, seems to uh, catch the attention of the farmer. And the farmer's like, hey, is somebody up there? What are you doing up there? Why are you on top of the shed? You better come into the house. Which again, that's a whole interaction that baffles me as to why like, is there someone on my shed? If you're there's someone up there, you should come into my house. I guess the farmer is nice. It's storming out, like come inside. So anyway, little Klaus kind of tells the farmer what's been going on. And he's like, hey, can I come into your house and like stay for the night? And the farmer's like, yeah, of course. Uh, but first we got to get you something to eat. So farmer's wife, brings her husband and this person that she had turned away, which now the excuse is gone, like her husband's home. And he's the one that invited him. You know, the husband's the one that invited little Klaus in, which she had said her husband said they can't have strangers over, blah, blah, blah. So she serves each of them a large bowl of porridge. And the farmer was like super hungry. And he starts like chowing down on this. And little Klaus is like, I can't eat this disgusting porridge. Well, I've been like, licking my chops from the shed roof to, like, roast meat and fish and cake that he knows are in this house. Yeah. Klaus, little Klaus, wants some cake. So he has this very weird idea pop into his head, takes the sack with the hide that he was going to sell, and puts it under the table by his feet. And... Because he didn't want the porridge, he starts stepping on this sack with the hide in it. And it starts making these loud squeaking noises. And so little Klaus leads down and says, Hush! To the sack that is squeaking because he's stepping on it. But then he steps on it more and makes it louder. And the farmer is like, Uh, buddy, what's going on here? What do you have in that sack? And little Klaus is like, Oh, pff, it's a goblin.
0: <laughs> you know.
1: And... Little Klaus expands saying, like, oh, my goblin's telling me that we don't need to eat this disgusting porridge because he's charmed the oven to be full of roast meat and fish and cake. And the farmer's like, what? So the farmer's, Mm -hmm. like, incredulous, runs over to the oven, opens it up, and he's like, oh, my gosh, what the heck? Which is all the stuff that his wife had hidden in the oven from him. And he's like, holy crap, that's amazing. And he thinks that the goblin did this, like, for their benefit. And the wife is like not going to say anything because she knows full well that she did all of that not a little goblin um yeah <laughs> but she doesn't want to have to explain the sexton in the chest in the corner and so little Klaus starts stepping yeah. on the skin again and it's squeaking again and the farmer's like he's fully believing in this little goblin now it's like what's it saying now and so little cloud's like oh yeah there's also three bottles of wine for us in the oven as well and so like The farmer's wife like has to go. She gets the wine out of the oven and they start drinking it. And it says they become very merry. So the farmer getting really drunk and he is just delighted by this little goblin. And he starts talking about how like, oh, how I'd love to have a little goblin like the one that little Klaus has just for myself. And so the farmer in a really good mood is like, hey, can you get the little devil to come out here? Like, I would love to see him, especially now they've been like such a great mood because I'm drunk off my butt on this wine. And little Claus is like, oh yeah, like my goblin can do anything that we ask. Can't you, my little goblin? And then he starts stomping on the thing to make it squeak some more louder than ever. And <laughs> he's like, oh, did you hear him saying yes? He's saying, yes, he can, but he's so ugly, like, you would not want to see him. And the farmer's like, oh, man, like, I am a little scared, but, like, what does he look like? I, I want to see him. And so Klaus, little Klaus is like, oh, you know what? I'll make him show himself in the appearance of a sexton. <laughs> and the farmer's like, oh, man, no, that's bad. I have to tell you about this really weird thing about me. I can't bear to see a sexton. But you know what? If I know that it's this little (laughs) devil instead of the sexton, I think it'll be okay. Like, I've got my courage up. Like, let's do it. But don't let him get too close because sextons, more than supernatural goblins, make me go into a blind (laughs) rage. And so Locke was like, all right, let me consult the goblin. (laughs) And so he's like putting his ear down close to the bag and stepping on it to make it squeak. And the farmer, like, again, in trance, like, what did he say, what did it say? And so Glowclaw's like, oh, he says, you can go to that chest in the corner and you can open it and you'll see him just like moping in there, um, but make sure to hold the lid tight so he can't get out. And so the farmer's like, oh my gosh, like he's getting a little freaked out cause he knows it's gonna look like a sexton. So he's like, hey, can you help me hold this? <laughs> can you help me hold this tight shut? And he's like, oh sure. And so <laughs> the farmer goes to the chest where the real sexton had been hidden, the sexton in this chest is like scared and shivering. And so the farmer lifts up the lid and peeks in at it and he's like, ah, screams and, and jumps back. And it's like, oh my gosh, I saw him and it looked just like our real sexton. <laughs> Quote, it was a horrible sight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. And so, like, they're sitting there drinking and drinking, and the farmer's like, oh man, you gotta sell me this goblin. You gotta sell me this goblin. I'll give you so much money for it. I'll give you a, a bushel full of money. And little Klaus's like, No, no, you I can't. Like, look, haven't you seen how useful it is for me? And the farmer's like, no, but I gotta have it, please, little Klaus which I don't know if he knows his name or not, but whatever. Um, and little Klaus is like, okay, you know what? Since you've been so kind, I will give him to you for a bushel of money, but I must have it full to the brim. And the farmer's like, you shall have it. I'll give you that bushel of money full to the brim, but you also have to take the chest away because I'm like freaked out by the weird sexton that I saw in there. <laughs> and so like, and he's like, I won't have it in the house for another hour because he's like, The farmer's, like, freaked out. I don't understand the logic of this, but the farmer's, like, freaked out. He's like, as long as this chest is in the house, like, I'm not going to know if there's, like, a sexton in there or not. Like, the image of a sexton. So, like, you just got to take it away so I don't even have to be worried about it.
0: Yeah, because it's, like, the logic doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's, like, he wants to buy the goblin.
1: Yeah, but and the goblin supposedly is the sexton.
0: yeah. It's fu- it's yeah. it's really weird
1: because it's like, he's super drunk. Yeah. He, does, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Anyway, they make the exchange. Little yeah. Klaus gives him the sack in return. The farmer gives him a bushel of money that is full to the brim. And he also gives him a huge wheelbarrow so that he can take the money and the chest away. In. So Little Klaus is like, bye. And he pieces out with the huge chest that has the sexton in it still and all of his money. And so <laughs> he's walking through the woods with a sexton in a chest in his wheelbarrow. Sexton doesn't even like try to come out. And he's walking through the woods, Little Klaus, and he gets to this big river on the other side of the woods. And the current was super strong, it says, and so strong, in fact, that it would be impossible to swim against it. And there was a bridge that had newly been built across this river. And so when they get to the middle of this bridge, Little Klaus said quite loudly so that the sexton could hear him. It's like, what am I going to do with this stupid chest? It's so heavy. It's probably full <laughs> of paving stones. Why am I hauling this thing around? I don't want to wheel it around anymore. I'm just going to throw it into the river. If it floats downriver to my house, then that's fine. I'll keep it. But if it doesn't, I don't care. You know, whatever. Let it sink to the bottom of the river. And so he takes the chest. He picks it up a little bit as if he's going to throw it in the river. And the sextant it's like, no, no, let it be. Let me out. Wah, wah. And little Klaus <laughs> pretending to be scared not knowing that there was a sexton in it is like what's going on oh why is he still inside who could this be he's like oh man like the little goblin's still in there i have to throw it into the river to drown it i'm scared of this goblin and the sexton's like no 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 i'll give you a bushel full of money if you let me out and little klaus is like oh money eh that's a different (laughs) extortion
0: don't mind if i do (laughs) i'm just
1: threatening to kill you until you give me money to stop that's on the up and up. So little Klaus opens the chest, the sexton gets out and they both push the empty chest into the water, which is a waste of a perfectly good chest, but okay. And then they went back to the sexton's house. So the sexton could give Klaus the promised bushel full of money. And with this bushel, I'm sure I remember, like I have a picture in my mind of what a bushel is because I went apple picking and like you could buy them by like the bushel or like the half bushel so a bushel's like kind of big. Apparently it's equal to 64 pints or 35.2 liters, which is a lot.
0: And what is that in dollars?
1: Yeah, and like, yeah, is it are these are these coins? Is this paper money? That's a lot of money. Like in cash of any kind, that's a lot. Um and now yeah, yeah. little Klaus has two bushels full overflowing to the brim in his wheelbarrow. So he's got quite a lot of money. And uh, as he's walking home with his wheelbarrow full of cash, he's like, oh, man, I got a pretty good price for that horse. I must admit, not said at all that his horse was murdered anymore. Yeah. And because
0: it all worked out. He gets
1: home, he goes to his room, and he (laughs) just dumps all the money out of the wheelbarrow into the floor of his room. And uh, he's like thinking to himself, oh, boy, imagine how pissed great Klaus is going to be when he sees how rich I've become. Because of my little horse. So, Little Klaus sends a boy to Great Klaus in order to borrow a bushel measure. Which I don't even know what that is, but it doesn't matter. Because when Great Klaus hears that Little Klaus wants a bushel measure, he's like, what does this Little Klaus have that he could be measuring by the bushel that I need to be jealous and insecure about? Because Little Klaus is not allowed yeah. to have things when I do not have those same things. You know, This is so weird because this element has come up before. Great Klaus agrees to the boy to let him take the bushel measure, but he puts like some tallow, some like fat on the bottom of the measure so that whatever little Klaus is measuring will stick Uh to it so that When he brings it back, he can see it, which is something we've seen happen before. This is a trick that people have played in fairy tales aforetold.
0: Do you you remember which one? I don't. It was Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. His brother.
1: That's right.
0: His brother did that because he was like, wait, what does my little brother have that or my poor brother have that like (sighs) I don't have? And so they stick a little something to the bottom of the measure. So, yeah, I thought that that was interesting. So it's like, oh, yeah, this is just it's one of those things that just like happens time and time again.
1: And so he lends out this tallow covered bushel measure. And when it comes back, it had three new silver, three penny bits. Stuck to it, which it's like the double use of three throws me off. Nor is it important, it's just that yeah. there was money on it. And Great Klaus is like, Uh, what the heck? Where did Little Klaus get all this money? So he runs straight to Little Klaus and is like, Hey, where on earth did you get all this money? Which, okay, would you not look into the thing that you'd put all your money to see if there was like any left behind and like pick it out of the tallow? Anyway. Yeah. This guy believed that there was a goblin living inside of this man's, like, sack. I'm going to let that one slide as well. Plus, he has so much money, he's like, ah, who cares? It's not worth my time to get these three new silver three-bit penny bits or whatever. Yeah. Great Klaus confronts little Klaus, where'd you get all this money? And he's like, oh, I got all this money because that's what I sold my horse's hide for last night. You know, the horse that you murdered, and I had to sell its hide to recoup some of that cost. And Great Klaus's like, oh my gosh, you made... Quite a score off of that hide, and so Great Klaus goes home, takes an axe, and he hits all four of his horses in the head with an axe, killing them.
0: What a moron. Slays
1: them and dries their skins and heads off into town with the hides. And uh, like a hot dog vendor at a ballpark, starts crying out, skins, skins, who will buy these skins? (laughs) Up and down the streets of the town.
0: (laughs) Get your skins, here. Just announcing what a moron he is to everybody.
1: And so like the shoemakers and the tanners and the people that would be interested in, you know, buying skins come running out and they're like, oh, how much you want for these delightful horse skins? And Great Klaus is like, "Uh, how about a bushel full of money for each one of them? They're like, dude, are you crazy? Like, how do you think you think that we have money by the bushel let alone money by the bushel to pay for skins. And so Klaus is like, "Yeah, whatever. I know that little Klaus got this, so you're obviously not the type of people he would say like to. So great Klaus again, shouting, skins, skins, who wants your skins? <laughs> got some sauerkraut that you can put on. Anyway, sauerkraut and mustard with the skins. So great Klaus is walking to the town, doing his spiel, trying to sell the skins. And again, shoemakers come up, tanners come up, and they're like, have apparently gotten word that he's charging exorbitant prices for his skins and they take their leather aprons and they're like beating Great Klaus with their aprons all throughout the town and making fun of him like, oh, skin, skins. Oh <laughs> oh my gosh. Look how we're selling our skins for so much prices and they're like beating him and he's like, yeah, we'll give you rawhide and they're like shooing him out of the town and Great Klaus like fearing for his life and having never taken such a beating <laughs> gets... The heck out of Dodge. He's like fuming. And he's like, oh my gosh, little Klaus is going to pay. I'm going to kill him for this.
0: Why are you, on a?
1: So great Klaus fuming at the beating that he's taken. is like, oh, that little Klaus. He's going to pay. When I get home, I'm going to kill him for this. Meanwhile, back at little Klaus's house, little Klaus's old grandmother had just died. But apparently we're not supposed to feel too bad for the passing of this granny, because it says that she was very cross and unkind to him. <laughs> um, but now that she was dead, even though she was cross and unkind to him, he did feel kind of sad. And so he took the dead woman, Oh, gosh, I just almost threw up in my mouth a little bit. (laughs) He took his dead grandmother and put him into his warm bed to see if he could bring her back to life.
0: Yeah, every time these people do this thing, they're like, maybe if I take this dead body and I rub up against it, everything will work out okay. Like, what? No, don't do that. I do
1: understand their, like, messed up logic. They're like, oh, the reason I know that this body is a dead body is because it's cold. The coldness of the body must be what is making it dead. Maybe if we just warm it up, it can be reversed, which is like, no, but heaven help you. So takes Granny, puts him in his warm bed, and he's going to have her sleep there all night. But he's not going to get into bed with her. He's like, I'm just going to sit in a chair in the corner and I'm going to sleep like that because I've slept like that before in a chair in the corner of my room, as have we all. Because our bed was so full. Of clean laundry that we refused to fold that we sat in the chair that normally is the place that the dirty laundry sits before it gets clean so as he sat there that night the door opened and in came great klaus again with his axe great klaus knew exactly where little klaus's bed was and so great klaus goes straight to little klaus's bed and hits the dead grandmother in the forehead with his axe thinking that it was little klaus all the while saying just see if you'll cheat me again after this. And then Great Klaus goes home. And little Klaus very rightly is like, OMG, what a bad, wicked, <laughs> messed up man that this Great Klaus is, having now murdered six living things, including four of his own horses. And I guess the grandma was already Seriously. dead. So it's just desecration of a corpse at this point. But <laughs> oh my gosh. he went there with the intent to murder. Yeah. Which a good prosecutor could use to make a very strong case, I'm sure. And little Klaus was like, oh my gosh, he thought that was me. He came in there meaning to kill me. He was going to sneak up in the middle of the night and kill me in my sleep in my own bed. And if my granny wasn't already dead, he would have killed her. He didn't even care. And so to get back at great Klaus, he took his grandma, dressed her body in her finest Sunday attire, borrowed a horse from his neighbor because his horse was dead and the other person whose horses he would use sometime had just killed his horses and tried to sell them for skins for exorbitant prices in the town. And he puts his grandmother in the back seat of this cart so that she wouldn't fall out when the cart started moving. And he started riding through the woods. So as little Klaus is riding through the night, he gets to a big inn just as the sun is rising. And so he draws the horse up there and he goes in to get something to eat. The landlord of this inn was a very, 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 very rich man and supposedly a very good man. But had a fiery temper, as if he was made of pepper and tobacco, which I don't know why, but that just communicates. Pepper, I mean, I get it because it's spicy, and tobacco, I guess, also, it just works. I don't know why. Anyway, as if you're made of pepper and tobacco. Very good man, but he was fiery tempered. Little Klaus goes into the inn. The landlord sees him. He's like, oh, good morning. You've got your nice clothes on this morning, because apparently Little Klaus had dressed himself up Mm, in his Sunday best as well. And Little Klaus like, Ah, uh, yes, I'm going into town with my old grandmother. She's out there in the cart. I can't get her to come in. Would you mind taking her a glass of mead out to her? But you're going to have to shout at her because she's a little hard of hearing. She can't hear very well, so yell very, very loud. And then he was like, yes, of course, she'll have it. So he gets a large glass of mead, which I've learned recently is like a alcoholic beverage that's made from honey. Mm-hmm. Facts. Alcohol facts. And he takes this large glass of fermented honey water out to the dead grandma in the cart. And he's like, hey, granny, here's this glass of mead that your son sent out for you. Your son, your grandson. It says son. I'm confused. But the dead woman, as dead women do, sat quite still and did not respond.
0: <laughs> as dead women do.
1: <laughs> and the innkeeper's like, uh, hello, didn't you hear me? This is a glass of mead from your son. And he shouts at her, still no response. He shouts again. Ma'am. <laughs> and he's getting really, really, really mad. That she yeah, is not responding, which he knows that she's hard of hearing. Like, what is going on? Anyway, so he gets so mad that he throws the glass of mead in her face. Oh my
0: gosh.
1: The mead ran all over her and, like, all over her face. And she fell backwards out of the cart. And little Klaus is like, what the heck? <laughs> he rushes out of the inn and he grabs the landlord by the neck. And he's like, you killed my grandmother. Look, there's a great hole in her forehead. Which, like, if you throw the... <laughs> Did he throw the whole like glass
0: of meat or did he, he just must, splash yeah, it on her? Yeah, he must, he must have, have like, just thrown the whole thing.
1: He's like, I'm stronger than I thought. I threw this liquid with such velocity that it... <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. And the innkeeper is like freaked out. He's like, oh my gosh. Oh no, like my fiery temper got the best of me again. Oh man, uh, look, I'll give you a whole bushel full of money and I'll bury your grandmother if she'd been my own, but just don't say Anything about this, otherwise, they'll cut my head off, which I'm like, they'll put me to death, I guess, is what he's saying. Yeah. And so, Little Klaus being like, Yeah, a whole bushel of money and a free funeral is enough to keep me silent. (laughs) And he takes that money, the innkeeper buries the grandma just as if she had been his own, which I have no idea what that means, but I'm hoping that it's very nice. Yes. Little Klaus gets home again with all of his money and he sends his boy over again to Great Klaus to borrow the bushel measure. And Great Klaus is very confused. He's like, why is a dead man asking to borrow my bushel measure? And so Great Klaus is like, I have to go over there and see for myself. So he took the measure over himself to Little Klaus. And he's like, uh, where'd you get all that money? Very confused about seeing this person that he just <laughs> killed in his sleep the night before. Yeah, Not only like- alive, but richer than ever. And little Klaus like, oh, didn't you know? It was actually my grandmother that you killed instead of me. But I sold her and got a bushel of money for her. And great Klaus, rather than being horrified that he accidentally murdered an innocent old woman was like, wow, that was a good payday you got indeed. So he ran home, took an axe and killed his own grandmother and put her in a cart and drove off to town with her. What the heck?
0: Yeah, this guy, he's big yikes.
1: So he rides off to where the apothecary lived and he's like, hey, would you buy a dead body? Which is like a question that I don't think you want to be asking haphazardly. No. And the apothecary strangely responds with, instead of like, why are you selling dead bodies, ask, who is it? And where did the body come from? Great class, like, oh, it's my grandma. I killed her for a bushel of money.
0: That's my grandma. I killed her.
1: The apothecary, speaking as one should in a situation like this, is like, <laughs> what the heck? You are... Talking like a crazy person. Don't talk like that. What is going on? Like, you you killed your grandma. Like, you're, you're going to get, they're going to sentence you to death for that. And, uh, you know, the apothecary is like telling Klaus, like, hey, this is a terrible thing you've done. You are a bad man. Like, you deserve to be punished. You don't just kill people to sell their bodies for money. Seems like it should be obvious. I shouldn't have to be explaining this yeah. to me. Great Klaus suddenly realizes what an unhinged thing that he did, runs straight out of the shop and jumps into the cart, whips it and rides home. Doesn't say if he had to borrow a horse. Did he get another horse since he killed those? Four- yeah, I'm
0: like, maybe he had to go and buy himself a new horse.
1: <laughs> With the money that he did not make from selling yeah. the hands of his other horses. And, you know, the apothecary and everyone else who had witnessed the scene was like so afraid of Great Klaus that they just let him go off. And Great Klaus, again, thinking that his own actions were the fault of Little Klaus and not his own poor decisions. Yeah. Swears all the ride home. You're going to pay for this Little Klaus. You're going to pay. Which having such an unhinged person uh, Thinking that you deserve to be punished Is not a great situation to be in If you are Little Klaus So when Great Klaus gets home He finds the biggest sack that he can Goes over to Little Klaus And he's like You've tricked me again First I killed my horses And then my grandma Which, I mean, he points out, like, he's like, I killed my horses, and I killed my grandma, and yet it's your fault. Which he says, it's your fault. Yeah. But you're not going to have the chance to cheat me again and convince me to kill something else that try to sell for money because I'm a greedy a-hole. And so he grabs little Klaus shoves him into the sack, puts that sack on his back and he starts walking off. He's like, I'm going to go and drown you. Which kind of debunks my theory that little Klaus is like six foot five and great Klaus is five foot two because like a five foot two man is not putting a six foot five man in a sack and carrying it over his shoulder. Just saying. So great Klaus is lugging this sack full of human being a very long way to the river because it says little Klaus was not so light to carry. So maybe he was six foot five, who knows? And I imagine little Klaus is not going to be like, just sitting still in the sack. You know, there's gotta be a bit of a struggle. Yeah, But I'm just assuming, it says nothing of the sort. So the road that he is lugging this sack full of person along passes by a church and at this church, there was an organ playing and people were inside singing beautifully. And so great Klaus puts the sack with little Klaus inside of it down by the church door and is like, hey, you know what I'd like to do after I've just murdered my grandmother and tried to sell her dead body? And I'm on my way to commit another murder. I'm going to go inside of this church and hear a psalm before I go any further.
0: Yep. (laughs) And Because a deeply religious man, obviously.
1: (laughs) Little Klaus couldn't get out of this bag. And, you know, all the people are inside the church and great Klaus goes in. And little Klaus inside the sack is like, uh-oh, oh oh dear, oh dear. (laughs) And he twists and turns, trying to get the cord to undo itself so that he can escape before being thrown into a river. So just at that moment, an old cattle driver, it says drover. That's weird. What is a drover?
0: A drover is somebody who drives cattle. It's,
1: it's, a drover is someone that has, but in the past. <laughs> it's a cattle driver, but like they're retired. So
0: yes, from, from long ago.
1: Just then an old cattle drover uh, with white hair and a tall stick in his hand comes along and he's got a whole drove of cows and bulls before him, which makes sense where drove comes from. That's what it's called. Mm. And he's getting these cows and bulls to move along and they run up against the sack that little Klaus is in and like turn it over, which is like, how close to the church are you driving these cattles, my man?
0: They got some good grass in that cemetery.
1: But anyway, at being upset by these cows and bulls, little (laughs) little Klaus is like, oh dear, I'm so young to be going to the kingdom of heaven. So hearing little Klaus say this, the cattle driver's like, oh, and I'm so old, but I can't get to heaven quite yet. And so little Klaus is like, hey, open the sack and get in here instead of me. And I promise you'll go to heaven directly. <laughs> and so the cattle drover's like, Psh, that'll do me just fine. So no. he opens the sack, lets little Klaus out, Little Klaus immediately jumps straight out of the sack. The cattle drover's like, hey, you know what? You got to look after these cattle now. He says as he's climbing into the sack to yeah, his own death, death.
0: Yeah, You know what? I'm pro I'm euthanasia.
1: <laughs> he's like, hey, man, I've had a long life. You think I want to be out here driving this cattle all about? No, I don't. I just want to be drowned in a river. That's all. Um. So Little Klaus ties up the sack and starts walking off driving the cattle before him. After a little while, Great Klaus comes out of the church grabs the sack, slings it over his back again. He's like, well, you know what? This sack is a little lighter than it was before because apparently the cattle drover was not more than half the weight of little Klaus. Again, lending credence to my six foot five theory. Yeah. Of course, as usual, Great Klaus gets the wrong message from this. He's like, oh man, he's gotten so much lighter. This must be because I've gone to church and said my prayers. Like the weight of about, (laughs) the weight of being about to murder this man is not weighing as heavily upon me now that I've done that.
0: Such a a religious man, (laughs) such a pious man. Yeah.
1: So he goes to the river, which is both wide and deep. And he throws the sack with the old cattle drover into the river. And shouts out after it as it's sinking and bubbling to the bottom. Like, you won't cheat me again, little Klaus. Because, of course, he thinks it's still little Klaus in there. Yeah. And so he heads home. And who should he meet at this crossroads? Then little Klaus at the head of a herd of cattle. And great Klaus is freaked out, having thought he murdered little Klaus for a second time, only to find out that he didn't. It's like, "Uh, did I not just drown you? He's like, yeah, you did. But, you know. It's been about half hour since you threw me into the river, so I kind of got over it. And Great Klaus, satisfied with that answer, being like, Oh yeah, like I got over it. It's been 30 minutes since you killed me. Yeah. Next moves on to the question, like, where did you get all these splendid beasts? <laughs> and Lil Klaus is like, Oh, you know what? These these are sea cattle.
0: Yep, that makes full sense. Of of course they are.
1: These are sea cattle. And uh, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and tell you the whole story because I owe you one. Like, thank you so much for drowning me because you have made me such a rich man. I was like terrified when you put me in that sack. And when you threw me over the bridge, the wind was whistling in my ears and I was sure I was gonna die, plunging into that cold water. But immediately I sank and I wasn't hurt because down at the bottom of this river, the grass is like delightfully soft. And when I get down there, someone starts opening the sack and it was this like beautiful maiden in these snow white Mm -hmm. clothes. And she had this like green wreath in her hair, her like soaking wet hair. And she's like, oh, are you little Klaus? Here you go. Here's some cattle.
0: This guy's such like a colorful liar.
1: Yeah. And she's like, you know what? And when you take these cattle a mile down the road, I'll have another herd waiting for you there too. And, uh, So at that moment, I saw like, oh, the river that we think is like a river, it's actually like a a road for the sea folk. And so like down at the bottom of this river, they're just like walking and driving and doing all sorts of stuff. He's like, the flowers there were beautiful. The grass was so fresh, like fish swam like so close to me, like there were birds like flying by and the people were so nice. And there were so many cattle just like walking all over the place. And so great Klaus is like, oh, yeah, if it's so great, then why'd you come back up here so soon? <laughs> I wouldn't have done that if it was so nice down there. And little and little Klaus is like, oh, psh, just part of my, you know, cunning. Because remember how the mermaid said that a mile down the road, there was another herd of cattle for me? The river, like, winds back and forth and back and forth. So, like, if I walked that way, it would take a long time. But I knew that it would go by faster if I just came up on dry land and I could cut straight across to get to that cattle. So I came there much sooner. And great Klaus is like, oh my gosh, little Klaus, you are a very lucky, very smart man. You know what? I'm going to follow your example. Do you think if I went down into the river that they'd give me some sea cattle too? And little Klaus is like, you know what? I guarantee you that they would, but I can't carry you in a sack to the river because you are way too heavy for me. (laughs) So if you will walk there and then get into the sack, I'll throw you into the river with the greatest pleasure in the world.
0: <laughs> you know that's probably the most honest thing he has uh, said
1: yes and as you do when someone has just offered to kill you with great pleasure <laughs> great klaus thanks him so much He's like thank you thank you so much i appreciate you being willing to throw me into the river while tied up in a sack but if i get down there and there are no sea cattle waiting for me i'm gonna get up here and i'm gonna beat the crap out of you <laughs> (laughs) And little Klaus was like, hey, hey, don't be so harsh on me, man. I'm offering to do you a favor. (laughs) And so they walked off to the river. And as soon as the cattle saw it, they started going to drink because they were thirsty. Little Klaus was like, hey, look, see what a hurry they're in? They want to get back down to the bottom again. The sea cattle want to be reunited with their sea cattle buddies. (laughs) And so great Klaus is like, oh my gosh, seeing this as evidence that eh, the ridiculous story that little Klaus said was was like, okay, help me. If you don't help me get into this sack so you can kill me, I'm going to... Beat the crap out of you. So he jumps up into this big sack. He's like, hey, you know what? Uh, get a big stone and put it in this sack with me because I want to make sure that I sink to the bottom because I'm afraid I'm not going to sink all the way to the bottom. And uh, little Klaus is like, oh, have no fear. Gives big Klaus, <laughs> no great Klaus problem, a big stone. No problem, buddy. And puts it into the sack, ties it up, gives it a push, and boom! great Klaus plops into the water in the sack with a stone in it and sank to the bottom at once and little klaus as he's driving his herd of cattle home says to himself i'm afraid he won't find any cattle down there and continues on his way the end oh
0: my gosh
1: (laughs) what (laughs) an insane story this is and i love it.
0: it it like it's one of those where it's like that that's really violent and like really morbid but also yeah there is like some satisfaction you can get a lot of satisfaction watching like Great Klaus get his comeuppance. Yeah. Even if you're like, well, especially because like you're looking at the violent things that he did. Like he was the one that was killing every single horse. Yep. And every single grandma.
1: But well, one grandma died of natural causes. <laughs> but he killed her he anyway after that.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, yeah, what he was doing was he was going but to. But it's like. He was trying so hard to kill that dude. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not better.
1: (laughs) Because he was willing to kill someone. Yeah,
0: multiple times. He
1: thought he was doing something worse and felt fine about it.
0: And, And then he felt totally fine killing his own grandma because he thought he could get some like cash money for her.
1: Yeah, so messed up.
0: So anyway, this story is grounded in Jack the Giant Killer tales. So Mm. that's where some of its like earlier, more like medieval roots um, as a folktale comes from, which makes sense. Like this is obviously like a trickster tale. There's a non-magical everyman who's able to kind of like use his wits to get out of stuff. A A mixture of like luck and wit.
1: Yeah. And one of the things I love about this is that there still is a supernatural element to it. But it's not true. Like the things that actually happen are like completely grounded. Yeah. But he's he's talking about there being goblins. He's talking about sea folk at the very bottom. Like, and especially if this is in a collection of stories where those things are real, like it adds kind of like yeah. It, I think it adds a little bit too of like, oh, why would this person believe these crazy unhinged that this person is saying. About there being a goblin in his sack and sea folk down at the bottom who are going to give me cattle because maybe they live in a world where, I don't know, I I'd, I'd like to believe it's not a world where those types of things can happen, but like maybe they've heard those same stories yeah. so they're like, maybe it's true, I don't know. Yeah, it's
0: it's one of those situations where it's like the people are at first a little incredulous but then when they're like oh no but look how how else was this man to know that this full meal was hidden in here how else was this man yeah. to know that a creature that looks like a sextant is in here like how else would he have gotten <laughs> yeah the the cattle yeah in 20 minutes how did he go from like being in my sack thrown into the river to now he's got this like herd of cattle
1: which he's going to make a ton more money off of now that he got this like three yeah. herd of cattle."
0: And so, like, of course, you know, people are going to be like, okay, what's the logical explanation? You couldn't have come back to life, right? Yeah. And so when they hear a supernatural explanation that they're already kind of more prone to believe in anyway, yeah. like, yeah, it's and again, like it's interesting because it is like this non-magical man, but he is explaining away his luck and his tricksterness with magic. Yeah. So these stories like they they all have that same like dynamic of a powerful versus a weak person like a rich versus a poor person and then like using wit and cleverness to defeat people who have like systematic advantages over them and so it makes a lot of sense that this story type has made its way into tales of the African diaspora. Mm. And Zora Neale Hurston's book of Mules and Men, this tale type plays out between Old Massa, and john and this the story has a really satisfying ending especially for the community that was retelling the story because this man who has all of this power that like old master
1: yeah
0: he has all of this like power and wealth and he meets his downfall in pretty much like the exact same way so it's like imagine the story that jeff just retold except that you have a, an old slave master versus a, like a recently freed slave
1: yeah
0: and obviously you know you have the like old massa wants to in the world of the you know emancipated slaves he still wants to have power over this man and he still wants to by comparison be richer be better off he does not want to see this like black man succeed and yet this black man is able to through his wit and cleverness defeat old massa and so it's like this tale type lends itself really well to that kind of a scenario and even like it in that case of like that story like i'm you know obviously rooting even harder <laughs> for uh the person who is the the like weaker person in this story john yeah,
1: absolutely it's like
0: you're you're rooting even harder for them because you're like yes yes Stick it to this like old, you know, Southern man who mistreats people, dehumanizes people like absolutely we want to see him like defeated like in this story. But I also found another variant in the African diaspora in Virginia Hamilton's book, The People Could Fly, African Black Folktales*, Tales. And this tale is called The Two Johns. And Virginia Hamilton says, This is a black Portuguese tale of grisly realism with variants in Spanish and English from Louisiana, Puerto Rico, the Bahamas, and the Philippines. It is at oh, wow. once a comic and an outrageously gruesome tale. <laughs> And if people are interested, like also in the quote, she says, and it is cousin to the foolish John and wise John tale from Louisiana, where the little man is smart and the big man foolish. So if people want to look that story up, there are some like retellings on um, YouTube of storytellers from Louisiana who retell that story. So definitely look it up. And so with that quote that I just read by Virginia Hamilton, I just wanted to say, like, so often with like tail types that are found all over the place, a lot of the times people will automatically want to take the European variant and assume that it's the parent tail to that variation. Uh-huh. But in this case, it does seem to be that the tail migrated from Europe because some of the older versions of it do have roots in um, medieval tales. But This tale type, because of the way that the story is, how it plays out with this like trickster everyman, it became very meaningful to people all over that were experiencing some kind of systematic repression. Yeah. So I'm very quickly going to retell the tale. It's a lot shorter because Virginia Hamilton retelling tales, she's a lot less wordy than Hans Christian Andersen. And it's interesting to look at the differences in this variation because what we just talked about, about how non-magical the last story was... Some of those elements actually do become magical in the variants like as the story has traveled or the only explanation for how something would work in the story is a magical explanation for it. And so yeah, it's just interesting how how you can see the differences in the story. So, this is from The People Could Fly by Virginia Hamilton and it's called The Two Johns. So, there were once two men in a town One named Big John and one named Little John. What's funny is that in the story, it says they each had a wife, but that wife never comes up in the rest of the story. So I think it's just funny that they were like, oh, just so you know, these men were married. Like, oh, okay, thanks for letting us know. Big John had two horses that were very fine and Little John had just one old sick horse. It wasn't good at doing much of anything at all. So Big John one day said to Little John, your sick horse whines and whinnies all night long and it keeps me up and I hate it. If you cannot keep that horse from making noise at night, I'm going to come over and kill it. (laughs) And there wasn't really anything that Little John could do to get his old, dying horse (laughs) to stop making noise at night. And so sure enough, Big John came over and he killed Little John's only horse. So Little John, not really having much of, you know, in the way of recourse, he just decided that he would skin the horse cure the hide and see what he could get for it and so he was walking along seeing you know if he could sell this horse and it was getting cold outside so he decided that he was going to stop and ask for shelter so a woman came to the door and she was like i don't know who you are Who are you? Why would I let you in my house? And he's like, (laughs) he's like, I know I'm a stranger. I'm little John. I'm cold. Can you please let me in? And she was like, no, my husband's away. Which, like you said, when you were retelling this, like, don't tell don't tell people that you're alone. Not smart. But this was a tough lady. So I think she could have handled herself. But she was saying, like, I'm not letting you into my house. It'd be inappropriate because my husband's not home. You know, little John was like, Okay, I understand. I guess I'll sit outside and just like, wait. And see, you know, when your husband comes home. And she's like, you're welcome to stand out there all you want. So a couple hours later, this man gets home, the husband, he gets home and he sees this guy outside of his house, you know, shivering and shaking in the cold. And he's like, what are you doing out here? And he's like, oh, your wife wouldn't let me in. So the man like, you know, barged into the house and he's like, why wouldn't you let this man in? Look how cold he is. Look how, like how rough he's had it. And she's like, well, you weren't here. What was I supposed to do? And the husband's like, well, let him in now. So, you know, they pulled him in and he came inside and little John was just wrapped up in his horse hide you know cuz it was the only thing he had to keep him warm and he was sitting there and the wife she got up and she made them some tea and she said I'm sorry I don't have anything but tea and it and it's gone cold and you know I hope this is you know something and so little john he took the horse hide off of himself and he put it like down on the ground and he was kind of working his feet on it and the man was like what are you doing And jokingly said, is that hide trying to talk to you? And little John says, yeah, the hide says, go to the sideboard and you'll find some food. So the man got up and he went to the sideboard and sure enough, he found food underneath it. Plenty of food, food for all of them to eat. And he was like, oh my goodness, is your hide, horse hide saying anything else? And little John like worked his feet on it. And he said, yeah, it says, uh, go into the back and you'll find some wine for all of us to drink. And so the guy was like, sure. So he goes to the back and he looks under those sideboards. And sure enough, there's a bunch of wine there for all of them to drink. And the man comes to little John and he's like, hey, so this is a this is a pretty cool horse hide. Would you be interested in selling it to me? And little John was like, well, I'll sell it to you for two baskets of money. And the guy quickly agreed like, yeah, I'll sell it to you for two baskets of money. No problem. You know, if this is this magic hide that's going to be, you know, helping us find food or whatever. So the man gives uh little John the two baskets of money and then little John says to the man, "Hey, if you give it back to me for a second, uh I'll get it to show us something else." And the guy was like, "Sure, no problem." So he hands little John back the hide and little John presses on it with his feet and then he tells the man, "Oh, if you go into the next room and you look in the barrel, There's something there for you to see. So the man does that. He goes to the next room. He looks in this barrel and he sees the devil.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: I know. I was like, what (laughs) in the world? This is a surprise visit from the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Delightful. On the Fairy tellers podcast. We love to see it. So when he sees this devil in this basket, he quickly, like, you know... Or in this barrel, he quickly, you know, puts the lid back on it and he runs over to Little John and he was like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I don't want that. Come take the barrel away and I'll give you double the money that I gave you before. (laughs) And Little John was like, no problem. So, you know, he takes the devil. It says he took the devil from the barrel. Like he took the devil out of the barrel and got All the money that he had been given and he went on home. It doesn't say what he did with the devil after that. (laughs) Just that like he took the devil. So he went home and he asked for Big John to send over some baskets for him to measure his money. And after he measured it, he sent the baskets back. But two silver coins had somehow stuck to the bottom of that measuring basket. Of course, that little like element, except this one uh-huh. it, it, it in this story, it wasn't purposefully like sabotage to be sticky or anything like that. But Big John saw those two silver coins and he was like, what was he doing measuring with my basket? And so he went over back to Little John's house and was like, what were you what were you measuring with my baskets? And Little John was like, oh, I was just measuring all the money I got from the horse you killed. And Big John was like, you got all these baskets of money for that sad, weak, old loser horse. (laughs) And Little John was like, oh, yeah, there's nothing to it. And Big John was like, oh, my horses are way better than your horse was. I'm going to make so much. I'm going to make double, triple, you know, what you had. Easy. So he runs home. Kills his two fine horses, cuts off their skin and tans that hide. And then he starts going around town saying, horse hide, raw horse hide for sale. Who wants to buy it? (laughs) And everybody was watching and they were like, what is wrong with this dude? Like, what is his problem? Why why is he this way? So nobody was interested in buying his raw horse hide. So he goes home and he's furious because now, you know, he's got zero horses Two worthless horse hides. And so he's mad. He goes over to little John. And he's like, I'm going to kill you for your lies, little John. And little John was like, no, it's not my fault. You just didn't do it right. You have to. There's like a special uh, curing process that you have to do for these horses. Then you can sell it. And big John was like, I'm going to kill your grandma right now which Whoa. i don't understand like i don't that he's like i'm gonna kill you and the guy's like no you just didn't do it correctly he's like you know what for mouthing off i'm gonna go kill your grandma which <laughs> you don't gotta bring people's grandmas into this no but anyway he went over and it says he killed little john's good grandma so it wasn't some it wasn't some like old nag who was always mean to him or i think it was little, yeah. little john's good grandma sweet little old lady Aww. says he big john put her into a chair and wheeled her to the store in town and left her there. Which I'm like, that grizzly. Yikes. Yeah,
1: what the heck? Let this be a warning to all the grannies out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Control your grandsons or you're going to be propped up in this storefront. I don't know. So little John comes along to the store and he asks the storekeeper if he could have a drink. And he turns to his grandma and he says, Grandma... If you weren't asleep right now, I would surely get you a drink too. And the storekeeper was like, well, wake her up. No problem. Like, go and wake her up. And little John was like, oh, no, no, no. I never wake up my grandma.
1: <laughs> Wise.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's hilarious because my kids feel like the same way about me. In the morning, at night, in the middle of the night, they will come and they will wake me up uh, mm. to be like, I had a bad dream. I fell out of bed. Like, whatever it is. Like, I keep coughing, you know, like. I need medicine, whatever it is, middle of the night, they will come and get me. But if the sun is already up and I'm still asleep, then they're like, oh, no, don't wake up mom to ask her for like breakfast or a snack or if we can watch TV or if we can go outside (laughs) or like wait until she wakes up herself. So, yeah, I'm like little John. He's wise. He's like, oh, no, I would never wake up my grandmother. But the shopkeeper was like, well, I'll do it. I'm not afraid of your grandma. So he went over to her and he started shouting at her and she wasn't waking up. So he started like shaking her. And as he's shaking her, she just falls off of the chair and like, you know, cracks her head on the floor. And little John's like, oh my gosh, what have you done? You've killed my grandma.
1: <laughs> I ate my grandma.
0: That's from what? Moana. The, the crab. I don't
1: remember that part of Moana. The crab. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tomatoa.
0: Tamatoa. I ate my grandma. I love that when I said that, immediately the smile on your face like left. You were like, no. <laughs> yeah.
1: No. Let's not say
0: this. <laughs> let's not let's not say this. And I'm like, I'm quoting a Disney movie. And you're like, still not
1: okay. Not better. So
0: little John's like, You've killed my grandmother. And the storekeeper's like, shh shh. Don't tell, don't tell, don't tell anybody. I'll give you some money if you don't tell anyone. And so the storekeeper paid to bury little John's grandmother. And he also gave little John two baskets full of money. So little John went home, asked to borrow big John's basket to measure kind of same situation, which it's like, shouldn't you have bought your own measure with all that other money that you have? Yeah, come on. So you don't have to be borrowing from, I don't know. It's a cost saving measure. Got to be frugal. Times (laughs) are tough.
1: I bet you he could have afforded a measure with the, Money that was still stuck to it when he returned it.
0: Yeah, for real. Come on. Says says misplacing money. So Big John comes over and he's like, where did you get all this money? And Little John was like, I sold my grandma for two baskets of money.
1: <laughs> not something that you want to admit, I don't think.
0: Yeah. And then he says something that is wise. He says, see how it is. Every bad thing you do to me turns out good. You killed my horse and it turned out good. You killed my grandma and it turned out good again. And Big John was like, no, no, that's not... I don't like that. So he went and he killed his own grandmother. Oh my gosh. And it says, my grandmother is much fatter and bigger than little John's. I could get six baskets of money, which I love. I love thinking that like, you can measure the worth of a grandma by like how like fat she is, which is like, Oh, my grandma is so much plumper than that. But it also makes me wonder like, wait, what did,
1: what did he think was the purpose behind? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like that somebody was like, Oh, you know, I'll pay two baskets of money for this grandma, even though it's scrawny. What, what I would really love to see is one thick granny. Uh, And he's like, Oh, have I got the granny for you? (laughs) And it says the man in charge of the city heard about this happening. (laughs) And, you know, they sent some people to go and try to arrest Big John. And so they were chasing him all around the countryside. And so he dropped the body of his grandma because it's hard to run with that fat granny. Yeah. Uh, it says he, he dropped his granny and he ran back to his house and he went over to Little John's house. And he was like, you made me kill my grandma, which is not what happened at all. No, no one made you kill your grandma, bro. These
1: people, Great Klaus, Big John, all these guys need to learn that they are responsible for their own actions.
0: Seriously. So Big John was like, now I'm going to kill you. And so he takes Little John, shoves him into a sack. It says it wasn't hard uh, (laughs) because Big John was so big and strong and Little John was so little. (laughs) Hence their names. Yeah. So he put that sack on his back and he went off. And Big John, passing by a church, thought, well, I ought to go in, get a pardon for my sins for what I'm about to do. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, and for the stuff that you already did. You killed two grandmas. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: It's like as if that's also how it works. Like, oh, yeah, like, I'm about to do this thing. Better get forgiveness for it before I do it. And like, yeah, that's there's so many things wrong with it.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Jesus, that I can't control myself. So while Big John was in the church, he left the sack full of Little John outside because you can't bring your sack of the person you're about to murder into the church building. <laughs> yeah,
1: with you. everyone knows
0: that. It's bad etiquette. So a herdsman came along with his cows and he was like, Little John, what are you doing in this sack? Such a good question. <laughs> but unlike in the last story that you told, uh, little, little John uh, did some fibbing. Little John said, well, they've put me in here to throw me into the sea because... Because they're doing it because I didn't want to marry the king's daughter What? which I'm like what so little John kept talking and he's like yeah you see I can't marry the king's daughter because like I don't even know how to eat properly with a knife and fork I I don't have any table manners how am I supposed to marry the king's daughter (laughs) and the herdsman was like oh I I know how to eat you know with a knife and a fork and proper etiquette like I'll marry her I'll marry the king's daughter and little John was like oh well how about you (laughs) hop in this sack then
1: yes because those are the qualities qualifications that they're looking for
0: yep and that's that's the means by which you get delivered to the king even though they're like they're going to throw me into the sea because i refuse to marry the k- yeah. king's like, daughter so thinking, why would getting into the sack
1: well because it's like you get in it, it's like they start picking them up it's like hey i changed my mind i'll marry her and then yeah like, oh, okay guess. we don't need to throw you in the sea more that's what i'm presuming but it's like yeah that's a lot of you have to have some strong belief that your plan's going to work out to be like oh if i just tell them i've changed my mind
0: yeah they'll they'll reverse course yeah but anyway this guy listened and he helped little john climb out of the sack and he gave little john his cows to take care of because he's like i'm gonna be married to the king's daughter i don't have to take care of these cows anymore so you can have all my cows and he's like here and keep my coat for good measure too and so little john was like awesome. Thanks so much. And started, you know, herding them away and left this guy in the sack. So Big John, he came out of the church building. He picked up the sack and found it wasn't so heavy. And he, much like this other guy, was like, this sack is lighter because I have been pardoned of my sins. (laughs) It's like, I I don't, I don't know. That's not how religion works for me. Maybe I'm doing it wrong jeff probably it's the only answer so little john he picked up the sack and he went out over to the water and he found his boat loaded the sack in and started rowing out to sea and then he dumped the sack so at no point was this guy yeah i have no idea what's going on with this like lie about maybe he thought that he was going to be put into the boat Carried across the sea to the king. Who
1: knows?
0: And his daughter. And I also think it's interesting that this story has this, like, king and king's daughter in it.
1: Yeah, randomly.
0: Yeah, when this story is being told in the United States by members of the African diaspora. So, like, it's one of those, like, little elements that I'm like, that seems very much. Like it got taken from old European tales yeah, and then kind of like adapted. I don't know. That's just my theory and thoughts. But anyway, uh-huh. there is no king. There is only the sea. So this <laughs> big John dumps this guy into the sea and he sinks down and then he rows all the way back to shore and started walking home and on his way walking home, who does he pass? But little John who's walking <laughs> along with his cows wearing this like new coat and big John's like, what? in the I thought I killed you. And little John was like, no, see, that's how it works. Everything bad that you do to me turns around and comes back good. You killed my horse. It turned out good. You killed my grandma. It turned out good. You put me in a sack and threw me away into the sea. And below that water, I found all of these cows in this fine coat. And big John was like, you know what? I was so wrong to treat you. The way that I did. I I am really sorry for, for all the things that I have done to you. Would you be so kind as to put me into a sack and throw me into the sea? But I want you to throw me out even farther. And as deep as you can so that I will be able to find more cows and an even finer coat. Oh, my god! And Little John was like, you know what? I appreciate that apology. I feel like you've really changed as (laughs) a person. And so I will do that for you. And so Little John... Had Big John put into a sack, I'm assuming he didn't carry it. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe he got put in a wheelbarrow. I don't know. Or maybe he made him walk all the way close to the, close to the boat, put him into a sack in the boat. That'd be the
1: most helpful. Or a cow.
0: Oh, yeah. But either way, Big John is in a sack in a boat. And every time Little John stops to throw the, big, the sack of Big John into the water, Big John was like, no, 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 further, 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 <laughs> further further let's go further out and little john was like all right all right no problem no problem and after a while big john finally decided like this is it i think this is the place i feel good about this <laughs> throw me into the water and little john threw him out into the water with much pleasure and then rowed back to shore he went home and led a good and a peaceful life <laughs> the end Good night, children. No
1: <laughs> These stories, like, yeah, it's so it's so strange because like there is something really satisfying, obviously, about seeing kind of like the bad person get their comeuppance. Yeah. Um and like in the first one too, even when little Klaus talked the guy into taking his place in the sack. It was like the guy went in there willingly knowing that he was going to die. Like in this one, he like tricked yeah. the person to getting in there. The person thought they were going to marry a princess and said they're going to get drowned, you know? Because like, yeah, Little Klaus isn't that great of a person either, really. Because he's tricking so many people. And in a way, in lots of them, like the people are not doing the greatest things you know what I mean like they're not being the most outstanding yeah. versions of themselves yeah. that he's using to take advantage of to then be like you know he's taking advantage of it to build them out of money or whatever like the case yeah. so it's, but it's kind of like there's something kind of like not so savory about that too but it's also <laughs> yeah. with it just being like a fun story like that's the you know the leap that you're able to make it's like okay I'm gonna look past that because uh. the s- story is fun like in real life obviously this is not an okay situation Yeah. but the thing that I think you could take away from it that is good that we should all emulate is the fact like he takes all these very bad unfortunate circumstances that happen to him and finds a way to make them be useful for like his own good and his own like better yeah he doesn't go about it in a way that i would condone necessarily but yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. i i appreciate you know that drive and that ability to like Take everything that comes at you and turn it around to use it for your good rather than just like be like, oh, it's so terrible. My horse is dead. My grandma's dead. All these people are dead. Like, how can I use this?
0: And it's like, that's the thing that we love about the the trickster tales is that, you know, obviously the people doing the tricking, because even in like, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack the Giant Killer, like all those, there, there are people that he kind of like screws over yeah that that don't necessarily deserve it but yeah like what you're saying at the same time it's like well this is just a story and it's a fun story and the the clever ways that something happens is hilarious one of the versions that i really liked that visually like imagining it visually was one of my favorites was the character who's like the the big john or whatever he cuts off the grandma's head and like he decapitates her that's not the part visually that's my favorite (laughs) it's that then the little john character he takes her to like a storefront or whatever and is like oh can you do you know tells the person that's there to uh like give his grandma a drink or whatever the, you know the grandma is like sitting there not responding at all and the guy gets frustrated and he like throws a, a drink at her or throws something at her and it hits her head and her head like pops off <laughs> because she had been decapitated like earlier by yeah. like the big john character and like just like visually that's hilarious for me uh-huh. i mean, obviously you know, it's done to get that other guy to blame for this death occurring for, to screw him out of money and you know, whatever. And so it's like, even though that's not a good thing to have done, it's just hilarious. Like imagining the, like the body humor of like the head, just like popping off. Once you get past the horror of it being <laughs> someone's dead grandma. yeah. So yeah, like it, it's just, this story is funny. What I think is so interesting in this variant, is that the magical or there is no logical explanation for the food behind the barrels or behind the sideboards
1: and the devil
0: yeah (laughs) and and so it's interesting because it's like obviously those elements it it shows that the story comes from further back but somehow something has gotten lost in translation or In vital information that makes some of that make sense has been dropped. It's some of those, like, examples of, like, when when I first was starting to read folk tales and fairy tales and I was, like, confused because stuff like that would happen. Yeah. Where I'm like, we're not going to explain why the devil's in this barrel. We're not going to explain what he does with the devil after. Why is this this way? And then, you know, when I would do research, I'd be like, oh, okay, I see what happened. It had originally made sense yeah in a different context and then slowly some of that got lost but those elements still lived on in a way in the story even if you know you're looking at it now being like what
1: yeah yeah and and even other elements like you talk about like with the king and like being married to a princess it like even though it kind of doesn't make sense in the context of like where the story is taking place that we think it is and like where it's being told and why but it's also one of those things that makes me think too like this is maybe a really weird connection to make but i remember there being this story i heard and it may not even be true but basically about like you know people were studying some ancient city some like anthropologists archaeologists whatever and they noticed that like at the front of all the dwellings there was like a kind of like a pit like a little bit of like a an indentation like that went down and they were like what is this for and they're making all these like oh you know like that's it must be everything that's unexplainable like that it must is like religious significance basically is the yeah and then i don't know why this happened or if this is a thing that people actually do but they would do this thing where they're like oh in order to kind of like understand they basically had people like reenacting like living in these situations like here's what the, they set up like a fake mock city or mock little town or mock whatever that's like this. And like, go about your life as if you were living in this time. And without telling anybody about these like, you know, ditches that have been dug in the front of the doors, like this ditch kind of like appeared in front of the door. And so the researchers saw this and they're like, whoa, how did you know to do this? Like, we didn't tell you to do this, right? Like, it's like, oh no, like no one told me to do this. That's just where the chickens roll around when it rains. You know, like. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, one of those yeah, things yeah. where
1: because we're so used to looking at it and analyzing, and there are things like that, like, oh, the devil's in this barrel and whatever. We're like, there must be a reason that comes from further back. Whereas, like, sometimes I wonder if the explanation is not like, people were telling this story that was based off of things that they had heard that didn't remember yeah. it. They needed a reason why this thing was happening, and they're just like, "Oh, you know, I'm telling this to kids; it doesn't matter." Uh, yeah, they were gonna. They promised they were gonna marry the princess because it's an element that's in other stories that the kids would like yeah, to yeah, hear. Yeah. Whatever, you know, like kind of like grasping on. I don't know. That takes some of the fun out of it in some ways, but it's also like. Also take some of the pressure off of being like, do I have to find exactly why this thing is exactly like it is? It's like,
0: yeah, like, oh, I have to find a story that comes earlier that, that it would have made sense to have like the king. And, and sometimes it is like, sometimes somebody just like plucked that out of other things that they know and have connection with. And they've just like plugged it in. Yeah, it's
1: Like, this just sounds like a thing that would happen in a story that's kind of like this. So let's do it. Yeah. But again, going back into like the academics of it is like, interesting because where did they get that idea and it may have been from other stories completely unrelated that happened because like they were exposed to these other stories or other story elements from whatever like in like cultures meeting in an interesting way because of a person that happened to have exposure to them both yeah and it's just delightful I'm delighted that this is a story type that exists and has gotten passed down and adapted to different circumstances. And I think Disney needs to make a version of
0: it. Yeah. I mean, they like killing parents. They'll love
1: killing
0: killing these grandmas. So an interesting little tidbit on Virginia Hamilton and one of the reasons why I wanted to pair this uh, with the uh, Hans Christian Andersen tale is that uh, Virginia Hamilton along with earning Newbery medals, the Coretta Scott King Award twice, and the Boston Globe Horn Book Award. She has also been awarded the Hans Christian Andersen medal.
1: Nice.
0: I think that that is absolutely delightful. It's super amusing. uh, since. This episode was one part Hans Christian Andersen literary fairy tales and a look at one of his tales that is a folk tale that he didn't come up with all the way, you know, by himself, even if he for word count lengthened it out. And then pairing it with a story from Virginia Hamilton's collection of tales, a woman who has won awards, included the Hans Christian Andersen Award
1: yeah.
0: for folk and fairy tales. Delightful. Literary fairy tale writers like Hans Christian Andersen were always finding inspiration in the tales of the people that they lived around. And while the author's tales are seen as literature that is worth looking at and studying for what that single author was trying to say in their tales, I think it is also worth looking at the stories that inspired those literary works, to see what those tales have to say about the ordinary lives of the community of voices that shaped the stories.
1: Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and to Clarice Inge for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible.
0: Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar
1: There's like no delicate way to say this, but you pooped so freaking fast.